Welcome to Vinyasa in Verse, the podcast where we connect mind, body, and spirit through poetry and practice. I'm Leslie Ann Hobayan. Together, we'll explore different ways of connecting with our innermost selves and how to tap into the flow of the universe. Because once that happens, anything is possible. Your best life starts now. Hey, loves. Before we dive into today's episode, I want to tell you that my program, Heal to Power, is now officially open for registration. This eight-week transformational experience will help you create a blueprint for healing your traumas once and for all. Childhood trauma, trauma from sexual violence, from racism and sexism, intergenerational ancestral trauma, traumas known and unknown. I guide you through some deep dives into examining limiting beliefs, help you release the fear and anxiety that's holding you back so that you can step out into your innate power and thrive in your life. Audre Lorde has famously said, caring for myself is not self-indulgence. It is self-preservation. And that is an act of political warfare. Imagine how powerful this act of healing your trauma will be and what kind of impact that will make not only on your loved ones, but in your communities and in the world. I'm not kidding. This is powerful stuff. Stop settling. Stop playing small. Claim the life you are meant to live. Enrollment for Heal to Power is now open at suryagyan.com slash heal to power. And now on to our episode. Hello, loves. Welcome to another episode of Vinyasa Inverse. How are you on this beautiful day? I hope wherever you are, you're able to just take a look around you. Notice what is present in that moment. What beauty might lie right in front of your eyes. Could be big like the sky and the clouds. Could be small like an ant carrying a leaf. Um, But always the breath. There's always such beauty in the breath. So take one inhale right here, right now. Inhale. And then exhale. So good. So good. Okay, so to start today's episode, we're going to turn to Hafez. The gift is the book that we are looking at for these poems, these oracle poems to guide our conversation with myself and you. All right, (laughs) this one's called The Same Suntan. I don't know what that means, but we're about to find out. The Same Suntan. Burn every address for God. Any beloved who has just one color of hair, one gender, one race, the same suntan all the time, one rule book, trust me when I say that man is not even half a god and will only cause you grief. Ooh. Hmm. All right. Let's read that again. The same suntan. Burn every address for God. Any beloved who has just one color of hair, one gender, one race, the same suntan all the time, one rule book, trust me when I say that man is not even half a god and will only cause you grief. To me, that feels like a jab to um, the Christian God. Just saying. I don't know. And when I say the Christian God, I don't mean... um, the Christian God that I see, but one of possibly the Old Testament, we'll say. Um, the one who is portrayed as this singular 
figure who um, wants you to be a singular certain way. Um, and if you're not, then you burn in hell. You know, that that kind of figure of God. We don't, we don't like that one. Um, and so what Hafez is saying, I love this first, the first stanza, burn every address for God. Um, because God is everywhere. But also it makes me think of all these iterations that we have of the divine, um, all of these different versions of this higher power, who we think God is, the universe, divine, you know, light, um, divine intelligence. There's different words, different names that people use. And there are different religions that construct a God um, that is their way of relating to this presence that is above us or beyond us, um, just this higher power. And so burn every address for God to me is, is similar to saying something like, you know, all those different versions of me doesn't matter. Just burn it, you know, because those are constructs of the human mind and God, the divine, the universe is so vast, so infinite, so, amazingly expansive that we as humans won't even begin to construct an idea of what God is um, that comes close, if that makes any sense. Our brains are limited and God is unlimited. So for us to assign a role, to assign a description, to assign anything to this concept of the divine would be very limiting. Um, and inaccurate. So you might as well just burn the address, right? God is everywhere um, and all things and appreciates diversity, appreciates love, appreciates um, even when we stray. Um, I think about the word sin and, uh, you know, I was raised Catholic and Truth be told, I am a practicing Catholic as well, in addition to all of my spiritual practices. You know, I'm sort of like the the anomaly, um, a progressive Catholic at that. And I might have mentioned that a few times on the show, but um, I know those who are more traditional in their Catholic practices probably don't appreciate how I practice my Catholicism. So um, if that's you, then maybe you might want to pause this or skip to the end. I don't know. Um, but what I um, believe is that we are all God and God is within us. And I totally, if I'm being honest, lost my train of thought. <laughs> I just went on this whole like Catholic thing. And then I was like, oh, I just forgot what I was going to say. Um, but I'm thinking about the burning of the address and how God wants us to be ourselves. Oh, we were talking about sin, right? Okay. Got it. Got it. I'm back. So in the Catholic church, sin is like this thing that is like a bad mark. Like you, you got a demerit in school. And then if you get 10 demerits, then you get detention, you know, and that you're a sinner. So if you make a mistake, if you stray off the path of good, then, um, then you're bad. You know, and so that is that is a construct of um, certain men who who helped to shape the Catholic Church as it is today. 
um, but sort of forgetting to include the fact that the word sin, which I believe comes from the Greek, um, means to miss the mark. And it's not something you do bad, you know, it's you falling away from your true path, from falling away or, or sort of detouring away from your divine self, from what is aligned with you. Um, they often, from what I'm told, from what I found too in my research is that they've used the word sin in archery. So if you miss the target, if you miss the bullseye, that's a sin because you strayed from that straight line to the target. Um, but since then, the word sin has become so skewed into something that is bad. Um, and so that's not, that's not useful for us because then we end up um, self-flagellating. We end up beating ourselves up for not being good, not living up to high expectations, and not really forgiving ourselves for being human, for faltering. Um, for I mean, if you think about it, there's no such thing as perfection. Uh, I mean, we're human, right? And we are, we are, we are experiments. When I say we are experiments, we are both the the scientist in the lab as well as the test subject. <laughs> So we're both one and the same. So as humans here on this planet, we are um, experiencing life as human beings and gathering information from each of our experiences. Now, our experiences aren't always, you know, rainbows and butterflies, but they don't necessarily need to be deemed as negative experiences. It's information that helps you grow. So... Um, I can't come up with any examples. I got like a whole bunch of different ones that just came to me and I'm like, I don't know. So maybe, um, let's think of a, let's think of a sin. <laughs> Is it confession time? Um, I, I've, I've, I've told my kids this, this story before. So it's, it's a kind of a fun example. Um, I think when I was about five or six, I, um, I was in the drugstore with my mom and this was, um, yeah, this was when, when drugstores were also stationary stores and uh, you would get your prescription, but then you'd also get like notebooks and notepads and stuff. I mean, you know, not much has changed with uh, major chain pharmacies, um, but they're called drugstores then. And I remember seeing an eraser, uh, a particular kind of eraser that I really, really wanted. And it was it was like the shape of a pen. And the rubber part, the eraser part was, was a tube, was a thin tube, and you could kind of click it so it would like stick up, um, almost like a mechanical pencil. When you click the mechanical pencil, the lead comes out. So this eraser, you kind of just like click, 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 and the eraser would like come out a little at a time. And I had fun playing with it while my mom was, you know, shopping or picking up medication or whatever she was doing. And I was just kind of going, voot, 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 seeing the eraser go up and down, up and down, in and out of this little cylinder. And, um, and I asked my mom if we could get it. And she said, no. And um, she might have even said, like, what do you need that for? You know, it's not a practical thing. It's not the, you know, rectangular um, pink eraser that everyone else has. You know, like, why do you need this other eraser? You already have erasers at home. You know, that whole, that whole narrative. And so I decided um, <laughs> that I really wanted it. So I was going to steal it. <laughs> this little five-year-old, six-year-old me was like, well, I'll show her and I'm just going to take it. Um, meanwhile, 
I think this was before I had started Catholic school. I was in um, Montessori schools, so I didn't know the Ten Commandments yet. So I was just, I knew that it wasn't wrong, right, that it was wrong um, to steal, but I was like, I'm going to take it anyway. <laughs> so, um, so I took it and, um, and then I remember, I think the following year was when I had started Catholic school and, um, we were going through the sacrament of reconciliation, which basically is confession. Like you confess all your sins to a stranger, a priest who's a stranger. Um, and then he just says, say a bunch of prayers and you'll be cleansed of your, you know, wrongdoings or whatever. So I just remember thinking like, oh, I guess I did a bad thing. Cause I kept hiding that eraser. Like I would use it and then hide it in my pencil case and I'd use it at school, net making sure that I never brought it out at home. But if I did, I was in my room using it. So there was a lot of like wasted energy, like hiding things, but that's, that's sort of like my family's MO, there's a bunch of secrets, a bunch of hiding. Like that's a whole other story that we can get into on my Maverick Mondays. Um, so you guys should check that out. Um, it's on Medium. So if you want to look at it, just, you know, Google me or whatever. Um, find me on my website. Um, so in Catholic school, we were going through this, this sacrament of, you know, just speaking our sins out loud so that we could feel release. We could be absolved of these, these wrongdoings. So I was like, oh, okay, I'll try this. Felt weird to like say something to an adult male who I don't know. It's kind of creepy if you think about it. Um, to say like the, the quote unquote bad things that I did. And, um, you know, I just kept to the generic like, oh, I fought with my brother. I wasn't very nice to my grandmother. Like I talked back to her or something, you know, these, these sort of, um, sins <laughs> that, um, are safe, right? They're safe because it's like, these are things that everyone else does. So we'll just say those things because we're not, we're not bad. We're not bad people. We just do these things like everyone else does. And that's, that's okay. Um, so I remember thinking like, do I, say something about the eraser do i not i wasn't i wasn't sure but um i think i ended up not saying anything because i was like you yeah, know i don't know that's okay that was like a year ago totally forgot about the eraser meanwhile i like still i'm telling the story about the eraser so i still remember it <laughs> but i didn't i didn't confess that sin and i think for me, this whole idea of sin just is not useful in in our spiritual growth and in our expansion of who we are as manifestations of love. Um, it's just focusing on the things that are not up to par to somebody else's expectations, um, which is not useful either, you know? Um, so, yeah, so I, I just, I'm thinking about that, um, thinking about how challenging it is for us spirit souls to have human experiences if we're not even aware of the patterns and um, the constructs that are being put upon us. So we end up living very hard, challenging lives. 
until we start to wake up, you know, um, until we start to create awareness around the things that we're doing, the choices that we're making, the words that we're speaking, until we become more aware of the impact that we're making because of who we are being, not because of what we're doing. I mean, yeah, we make an impact on the things that we do, but it's more of an impact when we're just being who we're being. Like if you're being yourself, people are like, um, are attracted to that. Even if they're not aware of that, even if they're not conscious of it, they're just like, oh, that's something that I want to do. That's something I want to be. But not realizing that then it doesn't mean you be that exact thing that that person is. You just be you. And that's that's the message that doesn't get I guess, distributed or taught or whatever it is out in the world. Um, you know, I was talking to my kids that, well, they were talking to me about school. And, um, and my, my seventh grader said, uh, mommy, do they teach you um, financial math? And she didn't say financial math. She said, do they teach you how to, I forget what it was, something about like just finances in general, you know, like figuring out discounts, um, like if something's on sale for 20% off, you know, how do you figure out what the sale price is? Um, you know, how do you manage your money? She was talking about like financial accounting, even though she, she doesn't know that that's the name of it. And I was like, no, <laughs> they don't teach you that. And so I'm like thinking about this and I'm like, it's so interesting to really pay attention to our education system and what the curriculum is and what the focus is on the kind of education we are giving our children as far as becoming adult citizens of the world, not as labor force, because I know that that's a, a common um, term or goal that a lot of um, people in education, particularly, you know, administrators and, and the like, um, view students as like they're coming into the labor force this is the new labor force this is the new worker but that's not who we are we are not built or designed or or put on this planet to just work you know so um so i've been thinking about um yeah i've been thinking about education and how that really is a disservice to us and how when we create awareness around you know, spiritual practices, spiritual awareness, um, developing our understanding of who we are beyond this three-dimensional body, beyond societal roles, you know, how do we then teach that to our kids? I mean, obviously teach it to your kids as an individual parent. Like I'm teaching my kids these things uh, in terms of, you know, of course, age-appropriate stuff um, because there's some concepts that are like, whew, you know, even I'm like, all right, how do I explain this to an adult? Mm. Um, and I'm still learning stuff too, but it is, you know, what can we do beyond equipping our own kids from our knowledge, from what we've learned? Um, that's just a question I'm throwing out there. I don't, I don't have any answers, um, but possibilities, things to think about. Uh, and so, you know, there, my, my seventh grader is one who has a lot of, um, questions and, um, and when I say questions, I mean, she, she asked me like deep questions, you know, she, she, she made a comment the other day of something like, is that why, you know, is it because of your childhood trauma that you do X, Y, and Z? And I was like, who are you? 
<laughs> you know? Um, so it's those kinds of questions. She asks the deep, the deep questions, the the philosophical questions that I didn't even have an awareness about when I was in seventh grade. You know, I was I was too busy just trying to survive seventh grade. Um and not get picked on and you know those kinds of things but she um she really pushes me to think about like okay what is it that they need to know in order to be themselves wholly in order to not be consumed by societal expectations because that is what is giving us as adults a lot of stress a lot of anxiety um I mean, if you look at our country, um, statistically, I don't know what the numbers are, but there's been a huge jump in diagnoses of depression and anxiety in ADHD and a lot of mental health um, scenarios and diagnoses. And so what does that say about our society? I'm not even talking globally. I'm talking just the United States. Um, this this pressure to perform, to constantly do, to produce. Um, I remember in graduate school, I had taken a class um, on post-colonial theory, and I always thought it was the strangest thing to think about people as producers of culture rather than just people. I mean, it's a theory class, right? So of course, we, gotta, we think about things in different ways, but it always struck me as odd. Like I'm a poet, but I'm not a poet in post-colonial theory. I'm a producer of culture. I'm a culture producer. That's weird. <laughs> so, um, so how can we address this stress, this um, distress that we have around how we exist in this country. Um, I think about this balance, this sort of back and forth that I go through personally between being and doing, being and doing. I'm like caught in that hamster wheel from time to time in doing, 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 doing. Because we live in the country and the society and the culture that we live in, where if you're not doing something, then you're useless. If you're not doing something, then you don't count, you don't matter, you're just taking up space. And what kind of messaging is that? You know, not just for me, but just for people in general. It's like, oh, if I can't, if I can't make something, if I can't earn money, if I can't produce something, then I don't count as a human being that I'm seen as maybe a burden or, or what? Like, what is that? But that's not what, why we're here as spirit souls in the human body. We're not here for that. We're here to further deepen our understanding of our spiritual selves, to push some edges, some growth edges, to really elevate our understanding of our potential. Um, and that sometimes requires doing nothing. I know that's hard. That's hard for me. You know, what do you mean do nothing? But it is about getting quiet, being still and saying, all right, who am I? And what is it that I'm called to do or to be? You know, see, there's that automatic thinking of like, okay, what am I doing? What is my purpose in life? What am I supposed to do? All this doing, 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 right? So I, I have to catch myself and I have to pause and I say, all right, well, who am I? Who am I being? And what does that being look like? 
you know, because being can be taking a nap. Being can be being fully rested in order to show up for things like a podcast, you know, um, being can be sitting there with my kid, one of my kids, and just laughing over a video that she's seen. It's hard to stay vigilant about being versus doing because doing is very much part of the machine that we are in. Um, and so I want to just presence that. I want to bring attention to that because I know there's a lot of us who are tired, exhausted, burnt out, spent, whatever, all of it. Um, but particularly women of color. Women are looked at as the sort of, well, at least in my opinion, the um, strongholders of the fort of the home, of the famil- familial structures. Like, we're the ones that are holding it down, you know, because all of you, you men, <laughs> just clowning around. I know, I know. I'm going to hear it from like other people who are like, but not all men or whatever. Or like, you know, well, what about the rest of us who are not traditionally like cis women? I, I, you know, I, my language I'm working on and I embrace those who um, identify as femme, you know, femme identifying people, trans folks too. Um, But really what I, what I'm trying to assert is that Women are the ones who are holding on the fort and we're tired. And if we're not doing something, then we're not doing our job. If um, we're resting, like how, how dare you rest? How dare you take a nap? How dare you take care of yourself? You should be cooking and cleaning and, you know, taking the kids wherever they need to go and packing the lunches or whatever. Um, so it really requires a lot of presence um, but also some healing from these wounds that are that are given to us, these stories of who we're supposed to be um, versus who we actually are. And that kind of discovery requires healing from different kinds of hurts, different traumas, known and unknown. Um, it requires awareness and presence. And so, Really, what I am inviting you to do is to take some time to schedule it in your calendar, right? To actually physically schedule it and honor it. You know, you can say meeting or whatever. Go take a nap or just stare into space or read a book. You know, I feel guilty sometimes reading a book. I'm like, oh, this is not really like, this is fun. Like, I'm, I'm not allowed to have fun. And that's the other thing. Like, why are we not allowed to have fun? Can we, can we have fun doing our quote unquote job? Can we have fun doing the work that we love to do and get paid for it? Yes, 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 yes. But we have too many messages that are coming at us saying otherwise, like you need to burn yourself out. You need to work 80 hours a week for, you know, a minimum wage. You need to do this, this, this in order to be successful. Um, so my invitation to you is to ask yourself, where are these stories coming from? You know, who gave us these stories? Is this a story that I believe? Is this the truth for me? Likely not, but maybe, I don't know. 
but to really look at it and say, all right, let me see how my parents related to productivity, to doing, to earning money. Like, what does it look like from their perspective? Like as their kid, I look at them, I see what their stories are and their beliefs. Is that something that they've, you know, sort of given to me? Is that something that I've been conditioned to do? And then you can start to notice the underpinnings of how you act and how you behave. And once that happens, then you can start to take out those underpinnings. Just take out the pins. Um, so, yeah. So, yeah, I don't know. I'm just thinking about a lot of different things. But for me, the main, the main takeaway for me is this wrestling between doing and being you know, and how we learned that, where we learned that, and can we undo that? Can we recondition ourselves to be more fully present, to be okay with being, to not just like, okay, I'm being, you know, um, and then waiting, like maybe putting a timer on being and be like, okay, I'm done. Now let's go do something, you know, like honestly, being present in yourself and just allow yourself to be and then to follow what it is that you're being called to do. And when I say being called to do, it can mean anything. It could be your life's purpose, your dharma. It could just be like, what are you called to do right this minute? Maybe I want to eat a cheeseburger, you know, or is that cheeseburger craving something else? Is that cheeseburger craving this escape from a difficult thing that you might be looking at right now? You know, maybe there's a growth edge and you're like, whoa, no, 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 I mm -mm, don't want that. Oh, look, there's a cheeseburger. Let me go hide in that. Let me use the food as a way to escape, as a way to hide, you know, versus I'm hungry and I'm feeling in my body that I might need a little iron because of the way my body feels. So I'm called to have a cheeseburger right now, <laughs> you know, and it's, it's really tuning in to discern between the ego voice and the inner wisdom, the ego voice and your higher self, because we could justify, rationalize anything we want until the end of time. The ego is that good, you know, but when you practice creating awareness around that, practice discerning then you can diminish that ego voice a little bit. Now, how do you do that? That's, that takes practice, but you can practice with small things, you know, like, do I want an orange soda right now or do I not? You know, do yes or no questions, you know, things like that. The sun's coming out. I can see it. I love it. Um, I just want to look at the sun. <laughs> it's like, oh. Uh, so using your intuition takes practice, but to use your intuition as a way to discern what decisions you're making and from where it originates from, like why are you doing this? Why are you choosing that requires some practice. So what I'd like for you to do this week is to be to find ways to be. But if that feels hard, then to ask, where does this sense of being, where's that story coming from? 
because being is so hard, like I want to do something. So where does the doing story come from? And then just create awareness around that. That's all. Anyway, it's a lot of things I talked about, huh? I just got so eager to um, share with you all these things that I've been um, really in touch with the last the last week, particularly the being versus doing, because I feel like that's a theme that comes up over and over again that we need to just presence um, to pay attention to. Okay, so I'm going to turn to this book. The World I Leave You, Asian American Poets on Faith and Spirit. May is um, Asian American Pacific Islander Heritage Month. So I'm probably going to read from this book for the next or for the rest of the month. Uh, and I didn't preview it. So we're just going to go roulette style with whatever comes forward. Okay, so this is from Kenji C. Liu. It's called Migratory Daughter. Migratory daughter, you've recycled your life, quit this ragged field, leaving papers and bones of language. Undocumented bodhisattva, penumbra scattered around us. Citizenship unswayed by the thirsty republic. No postal address for the waxing moon. Your letters bear kanji, neat in nani nu noon. Say no dreams in English ka. All your choices have followed you into the next, so will mine. Everyone is broken. Band-aids, cedar and sage, hot apple cider, sharp rush of tiger bomb. People hurry forward as if unanimous, part the incoming tide with oiled noses. Forget dust. We are mostly water, and so is the earth. Ashes to ashes, water to generous water. Hmm. All right, my friends. And so... We will close today's episode as we always do. The divine light in me bows to the divine light in you. Until next time, namaste. Healing trauma is different for everybody, but it's often overlooked when it comes to women of color. No one talks about healing from the insistent pain of racism and the perpetual trauma of having our nervous system under attack. So what does healing look like for us? And how can healing empower us to build resilience and thrive despite these oppressive circumstances? In my eight-week course, Heal to Power, I guide you through the challenges of healing from traumas, including the wounds of racism and sexism, in ways that work from the inside out. Step into your power now. Get on the wait list for when doors open again in May, 2021. Go to com slash heal to power waitlist for more info because you are worth healing. Your best life starts now.